there was a man who had a Cadillac. Some would call him a fool. He bought a new Cadillac, and he was excited about that car. He was going down the highway one day, and unfortunately, it broke down. Got a flat tire, so he uh, pulled over the side of the road trying to figure out what he needed to do. When along came this uh, gang of bikers, and the leader of this biker gang, tough-looking guy, comes to the guy, and he says... I don't like you. And he drew a circle in the ground. And he said, you stand in that circle right now. And so the guy stood in the circle and he said, I don't want you to move out of that circle until I tell you. And then the biker gang proceeded to take out clubs and chains and start just smashing the daylights out of his new Cadillac. They beat in the sides, they smashed out the windows, they slashed his tires, slashed his seats, and they were just about done with their work. And all of a sudden, this man just started laughing and laughing. And the head of the biker gang comes up to him and he says, what are you laughing about? Did you not just see what I did to your car? And the man said, yeah, but I just stepped out of the circle three times and you didn't see me. <laughs> Well, is experiencing joy in the middle of adverse situations a fool's errand? Is it possible to experience joy even in the most difficult trials? And if so, how is that possible? Let's take a look at our text today to find out what Paul had to say about that in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 26. And we're just going to read through that right now. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, 
Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that, in, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire, desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your joy, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. You know, Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was being imprisoned. As he mentions several times in the book, his chains. And it may be that he actually had to be shackled and chained to a Roman guard while he was in this imprisoned state. The majority of scholars believe that he wrote the book from Rome. And the details seem to fit well with his house arrest in Acts 28. And it was probably written around 61 AD. Uh, If you look up on the screen, we see that he wrote that book to the people of Philippi. And Philippi was right there in modern-day Greece. This is modern-day Greece right here. And it was about 800 miles from Philippi to Rome where Paul was in prison. The next slide that I want to show you also shows some of the archaeological remains of Philippi. One of the great things about about the Bible is that there's archaeological remains for almost every major city in there. We can can know that the Bible is true. It's not a book of made-up stories or made-up places or made-up events. There's archaeological evidence to show that all these places are real. Philippi was a prosperous Roman colony, an important city in Macedonia. And because it was a Roman colony, it was independent of the provincial administration, had a governmental organization modeled after that in Rome. Many retired legionaries from the Roman army lived there, but only a few Jews. Only a few Jews. Um, In the next slide in the book of Acts, we discover that when Paul first went to the city of Philippi, he went to a place of prayer on the the Gangites River because apparently there are not enough Jews in the city to have a synagogue. There was a group of women there, and Lydia and her family became his first converts, and they were baptized by Paul, and Paul and his friends stayed at her house. The uh, slide shows what they may be a probable site of the place where Lydia and her family were baptized. Another significant event happened there in that Paul cast a demon out of a, out of a l- woman who was following him around, him and him and Silas were walking around the city, and everywhere they went, this, this woman would follow, follow them, saying, these are the servants of the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved. Well, that sounds great. I mean, that's awesome. But after a while, it got a little bit annoying. <laughs> and, so, and it was probably kind of hindering what Paul was trying to do. So Paul turns around, and he says to the demon, come out in the name of Jesus, and boom, instantly this, life, this, this woman's life was changed. Uh, 
Now, she could no longer foretell fortunes. She had been doing that, doing that through that demonic power. And because of that, her owners got really, really irritated with Paul and Silas. And they, they started a riot. They were thrown in a prison. And the prisons of those days were not, were not nice. This, this slide shows the archaeological remains of possibly the very prison that they were in. And the Bible says that they were put in an inner part of that prison. They were put in stocks, which, as you can see in the next picture, was not very comfortable. And most of us, I think, in that situation would be pretty depressed. We'd be pretty upset. God, here we were trying to do the right thing. And what happens? You know, we're, we're, we're beaten. Oh, and by the way, they were beaten before. They were thrown in prison severely. We are beaten, we're thrown into prison, and now we're here. Woe is us. But not Paul and Silas. Instead, the Bible says they were singing praises to God. God sent an earthquake. Boom, they were, they were miraculously set free. Their chains fell off of them. And uh, they, they, they could have just flown the coop, right? They could have blown the scene. But instead, they stayed there. The jailer came and he was about to kill himself because all the prisoners were, he was afraid, were, were, were loose. And that meant his life. That meant he was going to be executed, maybe tortured. But instead, Paul and Silas said, don't harm yourselves. We're here. And, and the jailer was like, what? He came to them, sat down with them. Paul and Silas told him the way of Jesus. He and his whole, his whole family were saved. And so we see the beginnings of the Philippians. Philippian church. Paul was the one responsible for starting the church in that city. So he had a special relationship with these people and they had a special relationship with him. Just briefly a couple more things before we take a look at, at what we really want to see in this book. Paul's purpose in writing the letter of Philippians was to bring encouragement to the Philippian church and he did this in, in several ways including thanking them for their faithfulness and partnership with him in the gospel telling them that he was praying for them, assuring him of his, them of his affection for them, encouraging them to have joy through hardship and persecution, reminding them to keep an eternal focus on their salvation through Jesus, encouraging them to live in unity, and warning them against false teachers and false teaching. The letter of the Philippians is also unapologetically focused on Christ, as Paul mentions Christ 61 times in this letter. Let's take a look just a minute at for a minute at the first couple of verses on the screen, we see that as in all of his letters, Paul followed a conventional letter format that was, was typical in the Greco-Roman culture. And that is, number one, he identified the sender, and that was Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Timothy was alongside of him and probably was the, his secretary that, that Paul dictated to and Timothy wrote down the letter. And then we see the second part is he identified the recipients, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And then third, he uh, gives them a greeting, a special blessing, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a couple things of special note about this greeting that is kind of different than in some of his other letters. One is he, I, he usually identifies himself as apostle. But he didn't really have to recommend himself as apostle to the Philippians. They knew him. They were in, had an intimate relationship with him. So instead, he identifies himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. 
And the Greek word actually means slaves, slaves of Christ Jesus. And it displays Paul and Timothy as belonging to Christ in the same way that a slave would belong to their master. It shows Paul and Timothy's complete devotion to Jesus. And the other thing that's special that I want you to note is he makes a point of addressing the letter to the overseers and deacons along with all of the saints or the believers in Philippi. This is the only place in all those letters where he does this. And it probably anticipates a latter part of the letter in which he addressed some disagreement that was occurring in the leadership of the church. So he wants to specially note, this is for you too, overseers and deacons. So another important thing about this book, and this is where we're getting to what we're talking about today, is that the words joy, rejoice, and glad are used 16 times in this book. More than, more than any other book, I think, that, that Paul writes. It's impossible not to notice this backdrop of joy from which Paul writes a letter. In spite of his difficult circumstances, in spite of him being jailed and, and being imprisoned and had been for a long time and he'd gone through all kinds of hardships on the way, been shipwrecked, been bitten by, by a snake, he'd been beaten, he'd been all of these terrible things. All of these things had happened on the way and yet we see in this letter that Paul is just like consumed with joy. He's just overcome with joy, and he's expressing that over and over again. And that's the lens through which I've chosen to look at Philippians over the next few weeks, the lens of joy. So going back to our original question, is it possible to experience joy even in the most difficult trials? Paul would answer a resounding, yes, of course it is. As to the follow-up question, how is this possible? We can find the answer by looking at how Paul approached this challenging situation he found himself in. The first thing I want us to see is that Paul had an attitude of gratitude. He had an attitude of gratitude. After the greeting, Paul continues his letter to the Philippians with an expression of gratitude saying, I thank God every time I remember you. Throughout the book of Philippians, especially again in chapter 4, we see that Paul has this attitude of gratitude. He's, he's overcome with thankfulness, thankfulness to God, thankfulness to the Philippians for everything that they had done for him. And again, how amazing when we consider his circumstances, being in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, not having the freedom to do his usual ministry like he, he wanted to, which was what his life was all about. And in spite of all this, he had this attitude of thanksgiving, this attitude of gratitude. And that's one of his main reasons for writing the gospel, this, this uh, letter to the Philippians was to thank them, as he says in the next verse, for their partnership in the gospel. The Philippians had partnered with Paul in the gospel in a couple ways. One, they had provided material assistance to, to Paul. Even though they were 800 miles away, they had sent messengers with some, some things to help Paul in his imprisonment. We don't know exactly what it was, whether it was money or food or, or writing supplies or whatever, but, but they, they partnered with Paul in that way and they, they wanted him to know that they were still with him in spirit. And also they partnered with Paul by proclaiming and living the gospel themselves and Paul joyously thanks him for this. So we see Paul had this attitude of gratitude. And another thing we see about Paul is that he had an other's orientation and others' orientation. Paul told the Philippians how, how he prayed for them often. You know, I think so many of us in Paul's situation would we'd be like, you know, woe is me, I'm, I've got this difficult situation, will you guys please pray for me, and I really need your prayers. No, instead, Paul's praying for them. 
he, he's, he's saying, I remember you all the time in my prayers. I always pray with you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day with me until now. And he says, he says not only that, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul's whole orientation is toward others. He's, he's concerned about the Philippians. He's concerned about their growth. He's concerned about them continuing in the faith. And, and he says that over and over again in this letter. What a, what a fantastic thing. What a fantastic note for us to have an other's orientation rather than when we're in hardship being focused on ourselves and our own problems. The next thing is that Paul found the good in his situation. Paul told the Philippians that his imprisonment had actually served to advance the gospel. The whole palace guard and others who had dealings with imperial affairs had recognized that he was in chains for Christ, not, not for committing some crime. He was there because of his stand that he had taken for Jesus. The palace guard were the emperor's elite troops, probably numbering several thousand soldiers, and many of them would have had personal contact with Paul as a result of being individually signed to guard him during his imprisonment. It wasn't just one soldier that stayed chained to him the whole time. They rotated people in and out to guard him. And so Paul had contact with different soldiers. You can imagine there's probably other people that he had contact, maybe, you know, other servants that, you know, took care of things or messengers or whatever. But he had contact with a number of people. And Paul says that through this contact that many people had come to know what, what Christ was all about and what Christ was doing in him. So he rejoiced about that even in the middle of his imprisonment. He also rejoiced that the gospel was being preached with more boldness by other believers because of his imprisonment. He says, although some are even doing it out of impure motives to cause trouble for him, I don't care, he says. I just just the, matter, the matter that the gospel is preached, that's all that matters. And he rejoiced in that. Listen, listen to his words as he talks about that. He says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Again, we see that rejoicing theme in this book. Paul is just excited that, that even in his imprisoned state, the gospel is still going out, not only from him, but other believers and Rome was, was beginning to become under some, um, under some persecution at this time. The emperor was Nero, and we all know about some of the crazy stuff that Nero did. But they were beginning to become, come under persecution. So you can imagine that a lot of the believers were maybe kind of like, yeah, let's just take a low profile here. Let's not make any waves. But because of Paul and the stand he took, he says other believers were, were emboldened to take a stand and to spread the message of the gospel. So... Paul, Paul was just totally looking for the good in his situation. We also find out at the end of the book that some who belonged to Caesar's household, not necessarily his relatives, probably those employed by Caesar, had even become believers. So not only was the gospel being preached, but people were putting their faith in Jesus as a result. By looking for and pointing out the good that was happening through his situation, Paul was displaying his belief that Jesus brings joy through adversity. We can always count on Jesus. Even in the most difficult situations, Jesus brings joy. And Paul was focusing on what was good in the situation. And the last thing I want us to see from Paul 
is that he trusted in Christ for his deliverance, believing that Christ would get the glory. Paul expressed an unwavering belief that he would be delivered. However, the nature of that deliverance was not entirely clear even to Paul. Would he be delivered by being released from prison and being able to minister to the Philippians again and seeing them once again? Or would he be delivered by being executed and being immediately with Christ? Now, it seems kind of like a strange way to think of deliverance, doesn't it? That Paul, part of deliver, Paul's deliverance was, hey, if I die, and I'm, I'm going to be with Christ. And he says it's better by far. So he actually looked at that as a possible means of deliverance. But he said, and his words are really key to understanding this whole book. It's the center of this book. His words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul had, we, we see he was completely fearless regarding the prospect of death. He actually looked forward to it. He says, he says that means I'm going to be immediately in the presence of Christ. And that's better by far than anything that can happen for me here on earth. But he also says, I'm also believing for my deliverance from this jail. I'm believe, I, I think that it's going to be best for you, best for the body of Christ, best for the ministry, then I'm deli delivered. And so that's what I'm believing is going to happen. From a selfish perspective, Paul actually would have rather gone to be with Christ. He said it's better by far from anything that we know or can understand here. But he, but he puts aside himself again and he says, I know it's best for me to stay with you, so I believe I'm going to be here. God's going to deliver me. So we see again this confidence in Christ for his deliverance. But, but the big thing for Paul was that either way, Either way, Christ is going to get the glory through this. Whether it's through my martyrdom or whether it's through my continued ministry, Christ is going to be the one who gets the glory. So let's just, like, let's just summarize our key points that we've seen here. First of all, Paul had an attitude of gratitude. Then he had an other's orientation. He found the good in his situation, and he trusted in Christ for his deliverance, believing Christ would get the glory. I want to finish up with some action points for us you know I, I believe the word of God is powerful and active and as it says in Hebrew sharper than any two-edged sword but its power is when we what become not just hearers of the word but doers of the word right so let's talk about some ways that we can be doers of the word here and doers of what Paul is showing us here in Philippians 1 first our first action point is that we need to adopt an attitude of gratitude just like Paul adopted that attitude that's what we need to do if anybody had a right to moan and groan about a situation it was Paul right but Paul had no time for this instead he thanks God for the Philippians he talks about their partnership in the gospel tells them how much they mean to him he expresses his affection to them you know it's really interesting that in some in recent years there's been a lot of research about gratitude and its, its role in joy and in happiness. Two psychologists, Dr. Robert A. Evans of the University of California, Davis, and Dr. Michael E. McCullough of the University of Miami have done a lot of research on gratitude. And in one of their studies, they asked all the participants to write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. One group wrote about things they were grateful for that had happened during the week. A second group, wrote about daily irritations or things that had 
displeased them that it happened. And the third wrote about events that had affected them with no emphasis on being positive or negative. After 10 weeks, they, they went back to these people and they found that those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. And surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. Shocking, huh? When we set our orientation in our mind on gratitude and thanks, it has all kinds of wonderful effects on not only our mind and our psyche, but even on our body. What an amazing thing. Another leading researcher in the field, Dr. Martin E.P. Seligman, a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, tested the impact of a whole bunch of different uh, psychology interventions on 411 people. One of these interventions was to write and personally deliver a letter of gratitude to someone who they'd never properly thanked for their kindness in their life. When these people did this, the particip participants immediately exhibited a huge increase in their happiness scores. This impact was greater than that from any other intervention that the psychologists tried, with the benefits lasting for a whole month or more. So just by taking the act of writing a letter of appreciation to somebody, it boosted their own mood and their own happiness. Again, we just see that gratitude has this powerful effect on us in our lives. And it's especially true, I believe, when, when, when we're in the middle of adversity, when we're in the middle of adverse circumstances. What gratitude does is help people refocus on what they have instead of what they lack. And although it may feel unnatural at first, this mental state grows stronger with use and practice. So number one, adopt an attitude of gratitude. The next, here, on the slide here is a, a few practical ways that we could cultivate gratitude on a regular basis in our lives. Number one is write a thank you note, just like in that study. Find out somebody who's blessed you in your life. Maybe it's somebody even you haven't seen in a long time. Write a, write a letter to them or send an email or a text just saying, hey, I really appreciate you. You've done this for me in my life, and, and this, is, this is awesome, and, it, and it's meant a lot to me. Not only does it bless that other person, but it blesses you. It lifts you up and improves your attitude. Another thing is keep a gratitude journal. A lot of people make it a habit to write down or share with a, or share with a loved one your thoughts about the gifts you've received each day. This is something I try to do. I, I keep a journal, and one of the things I do in my journal is each day thank God for something in my life. And there's so many different things that we start thinking about to thank God for. So that's a great thing. Another one is count your blessings. By that I mean pick a time every week to sit down and write out your blessings, reflecting on what went right or what you're grateful for. Sometimes it helps to pick a number, like three, four, or five things that you will identify each week. And then as you write, be specific and think about the things you felt when something good happened to you. That's another great way to express your gratitude. And finally, is another way, which I hope, hope many of you do often, is prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. That's part of, part of my normal prayer life, is to have part of my prayer where I'm just saying thank you, God. And I have a number of things that I, <clears throat> I thank God over and over again for in my life. There's so many things to be thankful for. You know, that he created me, that he saved me, that he set me apart and made me holy, even spite of my own lack of holiness, that he makes, makes me right before him. He's given me food, clothing, shelter, a wonderful wife, awesome kids, 
all the modern conveniences that we have, just things like running water and, you know, indoor plumbing that we take for granted, but that so many people in our world don't have. So many things to be thankful for. Thank God for those things. The next action point is focus on others instead of my pain. Just like Paul had that others orientation, we need to have another or others orientation. Paul had been put in prison for doing what is good and right, for preaching the gospel. If anyone had a right to question God and say, God, what is going on here? What was me? It was Paul. But instead, Paul didn't focus it all on his pain. Instead, he adopted an other's orientation. He expressed his concern, his affection, his love for the Philippians. He looked for opportunities to share Christ with the people he had contact with, even in his imprisoned state. There's a lesson for us here, isn't there? When we face adversity, we have a choice to make. Are we going to focus on our own painful situation, or are we going to focus on others? When we focus on our pain, it's always a recipe for, mi- for misery. When we focus on ourselves, and we isolate ourselves, and we just think about how tough the situation is that we are in, that's a recipe for misery, a, mes- a recipe for depression. But when we choose to focus on others, we can experience joy, even in the middle of a miserable circumstance. This is why one of the best things you can do when you're experiencing adversity is to focus on others. Look for opportunities to serve them. Look for opportunities to give to them. Find out how you can pray for others. Set your heart and mind on what you can do for others that will bring glory to Jesus. Here's a few suggestions for focusing on others. One is join a church ministry. I know this church has a variety of ways that you can minister everything from being involved with the audiovisual stuff to being involved with the, the coffee cart to working with children. There's ushering, greeting. There's all kinds of ways that you can be involved here. That's a great way to, to uh, start focusing on others. Another one's join some community service group. There's all kinds of groups in our community, ways that we can serve other people. Help out a neighbor who needs assistance. If you know somebody in your neighborhood that needs some help, go, go and help them. Look for special ways to serve your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, and your parents. Those are great ways to get our eyes off ourselves and focus on others. One cool idea I've heard that some people do is they put together these non-perishable food bags, and whenever they see a homeless person or somebody that's, you know, on the side of the road with one of those help me signs, they, they give a bag to them, you know, and say, hey, you know, here you are, God bless you. Whatever it is, there's a million ways Look for ways to focus on other people instead of yourself when you're in a miserable situation. That's the best way to increase your joy, to increase your happiness, and to honor God and bless him. The third action point, find the good in my situation. Paul was able to see the good in the middle of a very difficult situation. When we are in the middle of an adverse situation, so often isn't it hard to see how good can come out of it? Sometimes we're just like, man, I just do not see what good can happen in this situation. This is just terrible. I hate this. Well, there's a story about a man during the Great Depression who worked as a carpenter. One day he was building crates for the clothes his church was sending to orphanages in China. Later, after, after he was all done, he reached into his shirt pocket for his glasses, but they were gone. He realized they must have slipped out of his pocket unnoticed and fallen into one of the crates which were nailed shut and now on their way to China. The Great Depression was at its height, and the man was the father of six children. Money was tight, 
and he'd spent $20 for those glasses that very morning. And he was upset by the thought of having to buy another pair. It's not fair, he told God as he drove home in frustration. I've been very faithful in giving of my time and money to your work, and now this. Well, months later, the director of the orphanage the church had sent those crates to was on furlough in the United States and came to speak at that man's very church in Chicago. The missionary began by thanking the people for their faithfulness in supporting him. But most of all, he said, I must thank you for the glasses you sent last. You see, the communists had just swept through the orphanage, destroying everything, including my glasses. I was desperate. Even if I had the money, there was simply no way of replacing those glasses. Along with not being able to see well, I experienced headaches each day, and my coworkers and I were much in prayer about this. Then your crates came. When my staff removed the covers, they found a pair of glasses lying on top. Folks, when I tried on the glasses, it was as if though they had been custom-made just for me. I want to thank you for being a part of that. The people in the church were happy to hear about the miraculous classes, but the missionary surely must have confused their church with another one, they thought. But back in the back of the church, sitting quietly, there was a man streaming tears down his face, an ordinary carpenter who realized the master carpenter had used him in an extraordinary way. You know, we can't always immediately see the good in an adverse situation that comes our way. Sometimes it's just hard to see. But if nothing else, we have this from James 1, 2 to 4, where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. This verse shows that if nothing else, trials develop perseverance in us, right? They develop in us just an ability to, to have a more positive outlook on life, an ability to see how God has helped us through those situations and is going to help us in the future. So here's some questions to ask regarding the possible good that can come out of a situation. You find yourself in the middle of it and you're having a hard time seeing the good, Here's some possible questions that might help you. One, does this situation provide an opportunity to grow closer to another person? Sometimes, like maybe if we're in a, in a sick, sickened state or we're, you know, we're physically we're doing bad, it's actually an opportunity to spend more time with somebody else and draw closer to them. Does the situation provide an opportunity to grow closer to God? I think I have another God up there. That's not what it's supposed to be. Oh, no, I didn't say to God. Good. Okay. Might God be using this situation to teach me something is another great question. How might, God, how might God use this situation for my personal growth? How might God use my difficult experience to bless someone else in the future? I think that last question is a great one to ask because so many times I think God allows us to go through something difficult because he knows that when we come through on the other side, we're going to have more empathy for someone else who's in that situation and we are going to actually be able to help them when they come to us. We're going to be able to say, you know what? I've been through that. I've been there, and God was faithful. He helped me through. He's going to help you too. The last action point is trust Christ for my deliverance, believing Christ will get the glory. Ultimately, we can experience joy in the middle of suffering by focusing on Christ, right? By trusting him for our deliverance and believing that he will get the glory. 
This is about having an eternal perspective like Paul did. In Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. James 1.12 also promises, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, as we said, Paul didn't know what form his deliverance would take, but he knew one way or the other, God was going to be faithful and his deliverance was going to come. Even in his imprisonment, even if his imprisonment resulted in death, he had the perspective, that's going to be better off. I'm going to be better off. And Christ is going to get the glory. So here's some ideas for expressing our faith and trust in Jesus. We're in the middle of trials or difficult situations. First of all, pray prayers of faith and belief. When you're praying, I know it's very natural for us to say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? What's going on? I don't get it. I don't understand. And that's okay. Do that for a day. But then get past that and start expressing prayers of faith and belief, saying, God, I know you're with me in this situation. You're going to get me through this. I know you've got this. I believe in you. I trust in you. You're going to help me through. And pray those prayers of faith and belief. Another one is verbally express your faith in Jesus for a positive outcome. So when you're talking with people around you, rather than saying, rather than telling them how miserable you are, how terrible the situation is, how awful it is, express with your language faith and belief in God. Say, you know what? This is, this is tough what I'm going through, but I know God's got this. I know God's going to help me through this. God has the answer, and I believe in him for a positive outcome. Another, another takeaway here is write down verses that express faith and or positive faith statements and post them in your home. You may get cards and write memory verses on them or write, just write statements like, I, I believe that you're going to take care of me in this, God. I believe you've got this, you know. Write down Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever, the, whatever brings hope and peace and faith into your life, write those things and post them around your house so that they can, they can remind you of that. You might want to put it on your mirror in your bathroom or on your refrigerator. Those are all great places. Finally, memorize faith-oriented Bible verses. One of the, the disciplines that I do in my life is that I, I, have, I have a stack about like this of memory verse cards that I cycle through about once a week that I've committed to memory. And I just keep on, keep on going over those every week and keep on focusing on them. And they, they bring joy and encouragement into my life because they're, they're statements about what God has done and what he will do, who God is, and, and they help boost that, that belief that Christ is going to deliver me no matter what the situation, and he's going to get the glory. You know, to conclude, I want to talk for just a minute about an, the olive tree. We know from the Gospels that Jesus often went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And in the garden, there was an olive grove where Jesus prayed in sorrow and in agony because he knew what he was about to face. He was about to be crucified. And he, he was praying and says he, he was in such anguish that he even shed, shed blood, drops of blood came from his brow. Well, the olive tree that Jesus prayed under is a great picture of the adversity that we all must inevitably face. First of all, in order to be fruitful, the olive tree must experience the harsh winds from the east 
and the gentle refreshing winds from the west. The east wind is a dry, hot wind from the desert, and it's so harsh that it can blow over green grass and completely wither it in one day. The west wind, on the other hand, comes from the Mediterranean Sea, and it brings rain and life. The olive tree needs both of those winds to produce its fruit, and so do we. We need the winds of hardship in our life as well as those winds of relief in our life if we are going to truly be fruitful. Unfortunately, it's just the way of things in the world that without adversity in our life, most of us never become the people that God wants us to be. You look at almost every great person in history, and most of them have overcome incredible hardship in their lives. Hardship has a way of bringing out that fruit in us, just like the olive tree. Also, in order to be most productive and fruitful, the olive tree must be aggressively pruned. They have to prune back its branches in order for it to be more fruitful in the following season. And that's also, again, the way with us so oftentimes, isn't it? Adversity has a way of pruning off those rough edges in our life, of making us into people that can be better used by God. And finally, in order for the fruit, the olives, to be edible, they have to go through a lengthy process, which includes washing, breaking, soaking, and sometimes salting, and then waiting some more. Only by undergoing that process can the olives be cured of bitterness and made useful to eat. Adversity has a way of curing us of our bitterness, the bitterness that comes from sin, if we will allow God to do that in our lives. It can produce bitterness or it can remove bitterness in our lives. I hope our goal is all to be better, not bitter, right? And that's what happens with olives when they go through this process. Also, the most valuable part of the olive is the olive oil, right? Even today, olive oil is considered the best, the best of the oils out there. We, many of us use it in cooking. That's what I use in my house for cooking. Well, olive oil was used not only for eating and cooking, but also for anointing items in temple worship, anointing priests, prophets, and kings, as well as to provide light. But to get that olive oil out, the olives have to be pressed. They have to be pushed down. They have to be compressed so that that oil will come out of them. In the same way, when we are pressed down, when we are hard-pressed in our lives, God can bring out of us something that will be incredibly valuable to others. It reminds us of that verse in 2 Corinthians 4.8 where Paul says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, I'm sure that many of you are, are feeling like an olive tree right now. Aside from what might be going on in your personal lives, you've had some challenging times as a church, right? I'm sure there's some of you who've been thinking, what is going on? First, we lost our long-term pastor whom we loved, and then, then when we were just getting accustomed to our new pastor, he leaves. What, what's God trying to do? What I know is this, North Lake Church. You may be hard-pressed, but you're not crushed. You may have been struck down, but you're not destroyed. God is in control. God has a plan, and we can always trust him. God is going to get you through this time that's been difficult and I guarantee you on the other side God has blessing for you God has something amazing for you so keep believing that way keep praying that way whether it's for your own personal life or for this church that God is going to do great things he's going to bring great things and 
it's going to be for his glory. I want to wrap, wrap things up by just drawing your attention to this last slide on the screen. As I said, my goal and obviously God's goal is always that we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Um, did we get the uh, action cards handed out to you? You got them, good. I just want to encourage you to just take a minute right now. Even if you're not in the middle of what you consider an adverse situation, we all know that life happens, right? And sooner or later, adversity is coming our way. It's just a way of life. So even if you're not in the middle of a situation right now, I encourage you to just take a minute to think of what you might do when a situation comes. But either way, write down on your card, just, here's just some suggestions, or you may come up with something of your own. What can I do, even begin doing this week? That will be a way that I can express this big idea that Jesus brings joy through adversity. What can I do to just increase the level of joy in my life? My life? So I encourage you to just take a look at that right now. Write down one of those things, or maybe God's bringing something else to your mind. This is something that I can do that's going to just increase joy in my life it's going to express my, my my gratitude express my faith in him just take one minute and do that right now I encourage you to uh, take that card home with you and put it someplace where you see it. Put it in your mirror, put it on the refrigerator, in your wallet, your purse, whatever. Someplace where you will see it this week and will remind you. Preaching a sermon is really a worthless exercise unless we do something about it, right? If, if, if we all go away here and we're stirred or we're, we're like, yeah, yeah, God's saying something there, but then we act, we don't act on it, We've wasted our time. So I encourage you this week, act on what you've read and uh, believe in God for great things. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you're a God who loves us and cares about us so very much. We, we can't, e can't even begin to comprehend how much you love and how much you care for us. Sometimes we're in the middle of adverse circumstances. We're, we're in when hard times it's hard to see. It's hard to, it's hard to just understand what you're trying to do, what's going on. But Lord, I just pray that you will help all of us to just express that faith and belief that you are going to do it. You're going to be there. You're going you're gonna to get us through that adversity, and you're going to get the glory for it. Lord, I pray that every one of us this week will just take action on what we've heard, and that we will just express our gratitude in a way that we haven't or, or write down some good things that, that you are doing even in the middle of our situation or to just in some way express our trust, our faith, and our belief in you. And we're going to believe that you're going to get all the glory. And God, we pray for North Lake Church right now. We're just believing you for the very best for this church. God, we know that you've got a plan. Always you have a plan. And so, God, we, we just express that faith and belief in you, and we just trust that you are going to bring out 
about great things for this church. We ask it in your name. Amen. Hey, it's been fantastic being with you guys today. Looking forward to it next week as well. And I would just love the opportunity to be able to meet you. I'd love the opportunity to just uh, get to know you a little bit better. So I'm just going to be roaming around here for a few minutes and love the opportunity to, to uh, get to know you a little bit better. God bless you. Go and...